Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. I am here at the Nature Photographer Podcast. We are joined again with the two guys from Wild and Exposed. We have Mike Morrow and Mark Raycroft here. And we also have Jamie Heimbuck joining us. So we have brought her on board today to chat about everything that she is working on. And she is one busy girl out there. She has a ton of things on her plate and she still continues to smile. Every time I'm seeing her, she's always smiling and happy. So it's always a, a nice, fresh, fresh take on keeping busy and staying positive, especially in this crazy year. So, um, so yeah, so Jamie, Jamie says, she sit, stays super, super busy. I know we've got a lot to talk about. Um, she's got Wild Idea Lab and Girls Who Click. And she's got her Wild Vision Initiative that she just launched. Um, she does a podcast called Impact, the conservation podcast. She had a project, um, Urban Coyote Initiative. I don't know how much you still do with that, but I know that was out there for a long time. That You did a lot of things with those. So I want to get into some of that stuff as much as we can today and talk about all the great things you're working on. But before we get into that, I know Mike has been up in Anchorage and Mark was out, out in the field for a few weeks. So I'm curious to hear how that went, Mark. Yeah, I got out of the house. My wife locked the door and I was stuck in the field. <laughs> Not quite. It was a little more, a little more elaborate and it was nothing on her. I spent the uh, past two weeks in the Northern Rockies in Alberta and it was phenomenal this year. Certainly a big distraction with everything going on and all the measures, safety measures in place. But once out in the woods and camping and stuff, it was a breath of fresh air just to hear the soft breeze in the pines, watch the water reflect the mountains, hear the elk, hear the moose, and just live in the present and detach from the news. Every opportunity possible was welcomed right now. So it was a really good trip, really quiet this year. Not many people out there, so it was, I extended it. I was only going to go for nine days, and I ended up extending it longer. So, and I flew both ways. So that was the only gauntlet I really had to run. And unfortunately, the plane going out was full. And But with everything going on, you can switch flights at, or at least once anyway, within a three-day window with the airline I was on at no charge. And they did offer a warning if the plane was full and so anyway it once i was through that bit and the airports were super quiet it's just on the plane itself and i have friends that are pilots and they say that the circulation this is i i don't have experience on this but the circulation of the air being coming from the top down is somewhat safe and obviously everybody's masked on the planes but that was the only tough part the rest of the trip was fantastic and it was an awesome year to be out there for what I go after, and just a break. We've all been weighed under with with stress this year in news, so it was fantastic. I've only been home for a couple of days. Found good good photos. I'm yes, yeah. yeah. It, well, there were days that were too warm, and and the animals weren't moving as much. But for the most part, the first three or four days I I was there was phenomenal for elk so that was great because when a trip starts off and you bank a lot of material a lot of pressures off right away as a professional that evaporates and you can relax into the trip a bit more so there was that and then if and then i switched the second half of the trip i focused more on moose and and both were good and i was 
for what I do, I was probably 80% video or sorry, still photography on the trip, but I played more with video and that was fun and action camera stuff, which was fun. And, and there were five or six of my close friends right there and we worked together and it's just great to see everybody that I've known for years and haven't been able to see for some time. So that was a big part of the trip as well. It's just catching up and relaxing and telling stories while we're sitting half a mile back in the woods with a moose that's sleeping 60 yards or 70 yards off from us and just telling stories quietly and taking in the settings. So it was good medicine all the way around results and, and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you've had some good speaking of moose, you've had some really good time. You said what 40 days straight photographing moose down. Yeah. It's crazy to think that it's been that long. I mean, I, I work in the middle of the day, so I just go out in the morning and shoot and then I come back. So I still get work done. So it's not like I'm always out shooting, but yeah, it's been like 40 days straight. It was just the opportunity to see what it's cool to follow it from when they have velvet and all they're doing is eating all the way through the mating and now past mating and just kind of following their whole life history throughout the year. So it's been kind of a fun, fun thing. There was a couple of days where I, I cruised up to Denali and did a couple of things, but for the most part, it's been all moose, which is pretty awesome. Very cool. When, when Mike, when Mike calls me now, it's just, I pick up the phone and all I hear is, Oh, <laughs> so I answer, you know, back. And I mean, we go on for quite a while now. You get immersed right into the species you're working with, especially after 40 days. Right. Maybe he does need to take the break and fly south. I know. I'm dreading it. Oh. <laughs> Jamie, have you been getting out to shoot too much lately or photograph too much lately? Not at all. No. no. No, I've been completely wrapped up in uh, computer work. So I I feel like I kind of wild away some of the fall weather. But hopefully there's a couple of projects coming up. So hopefully I will be headed out the door very soon. What is a project for you? What What would that entail? Well, the project that is up on the docket pretty quick is doing a video. I'm assisting someone who's doing a video for a wildlife rescue center. They're getting ready for a fundraiser, and so they want to do uh, a really cute video for that. So I'm going to help out with that. Um, but other than that, it mostly I have an ongoing project that um, is very large uh, for watersheds. It's called Watershed Sentinels. Uh, and it has to do with watershed species that are here. And so I have little micro projects that I want to plan and get out and shoot. Um, so species profiles, location profiles, getting out in the kayak, exploring, that sort of thing. And where is here? Uh, here is the northern coast of Oregon, right on the Columbia River. Nice. Very nice. Are you just starting to see fall up there now? Yeah, it was like about two days ago we had that quick shift that went from late summer to it's officially fall it's cold it's stormy we're getting thunder and lightning now and it was like over the course of a day we're like oh fall's here wow that would be nice i don't know what thunder and lightning is anymore here in colorado it's been so dry yeah i was, I was out i was down in kind of central colorado so down towards the San Juans a little bit this weekend and it it was so dusty it's just I mean I'm like scooping the dust out of the back of the truck it's just yeah. we need moisture so bad yeah especially at the end of a summer like that the first rain feels so good so refreshing 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to some snow. So tell us what else. You just had a new initiative launch. Um, you had the Wild Her Wild Vision initiative launch, which is basically a directory. I'll let you, how about I let you talk about what that is? <laughs> sure. I don't botch up what that description is. No, um, yeah, so Her Wild Vision initiative launched uh, in mid-August or late August, and you're exactly right. It's a directory and uh, it was co-launched with Morgan Heim and I, and we basically were sitting around talking about the fact that there's not a very easy way for women who are specifically working in conservation, photography, and filmmaking to get found. So yes, there are other directories that exist that are out there that help uh, get women photographers in front of editors and get them assignments and gigs, but it's actually really difficult in a lot of ways to drill down to the point of conservation photography. And we wanted a way for people who are working for the environment and science communication to be really easily found. So we decided, well, let's just start it. And so we sat around for about three weeks. We got uh, a bunch of women who are phenomenal in this field, like real leaders in this field to throw in on being members so that we could launch with uh, a membership already there. Uh, and then we made a sortable directory. So we really thought about it from the editor's perspective. If an editor is going to try and find someone, what do they need? Uh, and so you can filter all of the members in this directory based on their location, their expertise, um, what their science background is, what their other training, like do they have um, are they, can they do fire jumping? Do they have CPR? Are they conflict trained? Are they do they know how to kayak or mountaineer? So basically, as prepared as you can be for an assignment. Um, and then we launched that and had applications open. We had 130 people apply for the first round of applications, which is really exciting. So we're currently going through those right now. Uh, and we have a really phenomenal team of advising editors. We have uh, National Geographic, Audubon, Nature Conservancy, Biographic, BBC, on and on, um, all supporting us. And so really phenomenal people are going to be looking through the applications and getting people in the door. And we're really excited that hopefully this will be a way for more women working in this field to actually have some equal playing opportunity for, for paying gigs. Sounds like a great idea. I mean, there's, I know there's always a challenge and, you know, and, and the guys at Wild and Exposed, I mean, it's, it's guys. So it's, you know, I know that's been something that I've been pretty excited about there's so many women photographers out there, but I think that they don't always get the recognition of, of how energetic and passionate they are as well. So it's it's nice to hear that there's some initiatives out there, not only yours, but some other ones too, that a lot of the, the NAMPA members are, are really spearheading and getting the, the word out there about women out there doing doing great things. Yeah, it's incredibly needed. And it was, I mean, just the, uh, diversifying who is taking photographs that get published, So, which means diversifying storytelling in general is really important. But what we were super excited by was actually the response of the editors that we reached out to, because everyone that we talked to, from Kathy Moran at National Geographic to Melissa Ryan at Nature Conservancy to Sabine Mayer at Audubon, like all of them were immediately excited that we just made their job that much easier when they need to be able to go in and they're like, we need to diversify who we're bringing aboard. How do we find them? Um, how do we get a hold of people? How do we make it so that we're not investing a ton of time that we don't have to source people? And so they were really excited and knowing that this was a product, like basically a product or a service that was in such demand by editors was really reinforcing that 
there's a there's opportunity out there and now we get to seize it so with that application process you said you got 130 initial applications so is this going to be an annual application process or just for listeners how frequently would somebody be able to apply to become part of that it's every quarter so we want to make this really basically we we have it closed for a certain period of time so that we have the breathing space to be able to go through stuff and update the directory and that sort of thing. But we don't want it to feel exclusive or anything at all. And so we're opening up every single quarter. And as long as you are either a professional or a semi-pro, like you're, you're geared up to be a professional in this realm, you are absolutely welcome to apply. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to reopen them again in January. And so what is that website? Is it, well, give us the website and we'll put it, link it in the show notes just so somebody can go right there to actually, if they want to use the directory or if they want to apply, if somebody wants to apply, what's that process? So uh, it's herwildvision.com. And um, so super easy. And we also have an Instagram account at herwildvisioninitiative. And um, we'll announce applications opening and that sort of thing. But it's a very straightforward application and uh, it's free, 100% free to apply. It's free to be a member. Um, and we have a whole bunch of perks as well. So if you do apply and you become part of Her Wild Vision Initiative, we wanted to make it not only so that you have the chance to be hired for assignments or for editorial or client work, but that you're really supported in your profession. And so we have several scholarships. Um, we have a grant that we're uh, funding. We have member perks. So we have companies that are coming out and basically providing equipment or discounts or that sort of thing to help people um, have access. So for instance, um, MindShift is helping us out. We're an affiliate with them. We have an environmental film festival who came aboard and said we want to waive all of the entry fees for any of the filmmakers who want to submit to our festival. So like these really rad perks. And then the scholarships that we have include, one is a professional development scholarship. And so the first one that's rolling out is on public speaking and teaching you how to do a really amazing presentation to funders or stakeholders or to clients using Zoom. So what are the challenges now that you can't get in front of people uh, and teach them how to do a presentation? We have one scholarship that will send a member to a conflict training program so that they, if they're going into kind of hazardous uh, scary areas, they have the training that they need to be as safe as possible uh, in those areas. And then we also have a no strings attached project grant. So whatever you need to spend the money on in order to make sure that you get your project done, go for it. We're not, we're not saying you can't spend it on this or that. If you need to hire a house sitter because you're going to be in the field for six months, spend it. No problem. So um, that's going to be, we're in the process of funding that right now. And we're really excited to offer basically goodies that support pros in the field. Other things that you have going on, you have Wild Idea Lab. I know that keeps you pretty busy. If you want to talk a little bit about that, you explain a little bit about what you do and the coaching you do for aspiring conservation photographers as well as established photographers too. Sure. Well, Wild Idea Lab is... Uh, it's a membership community and it's growing into something really, and this is said with no ego whatsoever, it's growing into something really exceptional just because the members who are in there are such phenomenal people. Uh, so it's built specifically for conservation photographers and filmmakers, and we have a just a ton of resources. So you get a monthly masterclass that's usually on a topic 
that has to do with either creativity, so actually creating projects and uh, how to get inspiration, how to project plan, that sort of thing, how to release your work out into the world. So um, getting into film festivals or doing gallery exhibits, how to make a bigger impact with your work. So looking at things like how do you get in front of audiences? How do you get the work? Like, how do you reach beyond the choir? That sort of thing. And then uh, in business, bookkeeping for creatives, websites, you know, all of the kind of business ended, end of things. We do monthly masterclasses on, on these topics. And then we also have a ton of live events. So every month we do a creative group coaching call. So you come into the call and you bring a creative issue that you're dealing with and we all kind of troubleshoot together. So we had one last week and we had 20 plus people on there all helping each other navigate the issue of setting up a website with the print gallery and everything. And then we do a professional development group coaching call and we had that today actually and we had we had 23 members and the theme was imposter syndrome. And my goodness, that was a, a very thorough, rich conversation. It's amazing how many people are like raising their hands about dealing with imposter syndrome and sharing tools about how to overcome that. And uh, We do a mentor meeting every month. So we have, and these names might be familiar to you, uh, Susie Esterhaas, Sebastian Kenner Connect, Clay Bolt, and Morgan Heim are official Wild Idea Lab mem mentors. And so every month one of them comes in for a live Q&A uh, and anyone can ask anything they want. And it's basically just a mentorship session. And then we do um, happy hours and coffee hours and that sort of thing. And, and it runs itself basically like a Facebook program, essentially. So you can post stuff all, every day you can share stuff. We do challenges and we have prizes and we do um, awards and critiques and all kinds of goodness. I could go on and on. You guys need to cut me off. I, I feel like I should know what this is, but I don't. What's imposter syndrome? Oh, good question. I wish you were on the call today. So imposter syndrome is basically that feeling that you get like um, when you are praised, you didn't really earn it and people call you an expert, but you don't really know anything. And pretty soon they're going to find you out for being a total fraud. And you, you, sh you shouldn't get to call yourself a conservation photographer unless you've reached this certain like pinnacle of your career. And like all of those basic thoughts in your head that you're not nearly as good as other people say you are. And pretty soon they're going to figure that out. Um, and that you haven't earned all of these things. And and it, it's amazing how much it comes up with people of all levels. Like it's, there's actually a book on it that I want to pick up just to be prepared for the next conversation. Um, but it happens a lot with people who are perfectionists, um, where they feel like they're no good at something unless it's absolutely perfect, even though they're exceptional at what they do. And it happens with people who are in positions of being an expert in something. So they're teaching or like they're university professors or something. And like, oh, pretty soon someone's going to... Maya Angelou actually had a really great, very vulnerable talk about feeling like she was an imposter. And at any moment, someone was going to find out that she was a terrible writer. What? I know, right? Um, so yeah, it's a very prevalent, um, mindset issue. Interesting. So what else do so you have? Um, you have your own podcast. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I think you had mentioned it earlier, um, before we started recording that, you know, this is 2020 and everybody's home. And I think there were <laughs> a lot of people that jumped on the, the podcast, um, podcast train and, but you know, yours is pretty informative. I know I, I've mentioned to you before that, you know, I do a lot of traveling and, 
you know, a lot of drive time and I do spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. Um, and I found I do find that yours is very informative, especially from business skills. And that kind of goes back to that imposter thing. I mean, you know, I have I have an MBA and I've studied business and I've been in corporate jobs. And then I get people like ask me, they're like, how come you don't have, you know, you're not making a, you know, a gazillion dollars doing what you're doing. You have all this business experience. I'm like, well, first of all, business is very different in very different avenues. You know, I spent 20 years in medical publishing and medical products. It's a very different industry than photography, but, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about, you know, there's only so, you know, you know so much about certain things and then applying it. And, you know, I think we could probably all talk to the fact that it's, you know, it's hard to market our own things. It's hard to sell our own work. It's, this is very personal work and, you know, we tend to be very passionate about what we want to photograph and what we are doing. So, yeah. Oh, I think it takes so much. Yeah. I think it takes a ton of courage to put your photography out there in the world, especially online when you never know who's going to critique it or judge it or like or dislike it. And um, I think it's really brave to continue to shoot and to, to put your work out there, especially on a professional level, because there's so much, if it's, if it's as a hobby, then you can kind of go lightly in the area and just be like, well, it's just for fun anyway. But when you're a professional, you're like, oh no, I actually like, I need that approval for survival. So <laughs> it becomes even more scary. Yeah, there's definitely a, a different mindset. And, you know, we've, we've all talked about it, you know, whether it's within our own circles or to other people that ask us about doing this for a living is, you know, and you had even, you know, we just talked about it. You said you haven't been out in the field. Everybody thinks, oh, this is a great, it is a great job. I, you know, I think we all love what we do, but we do spend a lot of time behind the desk and we spend a lot of time doing accounting work and, you know, marketing work and writing and building websites and, and all the other things that kind of go along with it. So, yeah. but I think your podcast does a really good job of going into some of all those different aspects of what, what it takes to, I, I mean, I know, Mark, you're up at all kinds of crazy hours. I've seen you you talk about that, it's, you know, middle of the night. I mean, you know, it's we all we all do what it takes to kind of keep it going. There's always something else that could be done, too. It's you know, we have to be our own worst enemy sometimes of saying it's today was enough. And, you know, there's always tomorrow to tackle something new. Absolutely. That work life balance is legit. So give us a snapshot um, of a couple of episodes examples of a couple of your episodes and maybe some of the highlights you said there's 50 episodes out now which is a lot which is awesome um it's funny that you ask that and I'm like can I get my phone to remember what episodes I put out but um I know today's episode was uh, about basically taking kind of more of a business mindset about volunteering so so many people love to volunteer as conservation photographers for local organizations and you know they've got their full-time job they're totally set they really just want to do this to be helpful and to be and to do something meaningful with their photography but sometimes what can happen is when you dive into a volunteer gig um, problems can arise down the road that you might not have expected like uh, misuse of your images or Sometimes organizations can start to like, if you're if you're donating your time and energy for free, they can want more and more and more of that. And so the episode was about taking seven business mindsets into your volunteering efforts. So if you're if you think of your volunteering efforts as if you're coming into it like a business owner, well, you're not going to walk into a meeting having no idea what you expect your 
outcome to be or what you're going to provide to a client. So think about your volunteering like that too. What do you want to provide to this entity and what do you hope to get out of that? So are you going to spend five hours a week photographing for them? Are you going to donate images? Are you going to, you know, basically what's your in scope and out of scope stuff? And then also things like getting your paperwork in place, making sure that you're, even if you're donating images, here's why licensing agreements and model releases are still really important and why they're incredibly helpful. Um, so that's, that was today's episode. I do a whole mix of um, mindset. So again, it's all around conservation photography, but it can be brought out into a larger scope. But I do a mix of kind of like how you can implement business and marketing and um, these other skill sets into conservation work. And also just mindset stuff, like being like the the importance of empathy and compassion and that sort of thing, and how you pull that into conservation photography. And then I do interviews with phenomenal people, and those are probably the best part of the podcast, is um, hearing what other people are up to. So um, people who are doing amazing first time projects, or people who are incredibly experienced pros. Um, I had a really fun interview with a wildlife photographer who I think is amazing and he's a professional wildlife tracker. And so we talked about how he uses his tracking skills in his conservation photography projects. And like he um, tracked a caribou subspecies that's next to impossible to find. So how did your tracking skills go into that so you could make this book about it, that kind of thing. So hearing from other pros is always a huge joy and, and a lot of fun to do on the podcast. So what's the name of the podcast? It's Impact, the Conservation Photography Podcast. And there's actually a podcast called Impact, the Podcast. Um, and, and it came out about six months after mine. And I saw it. And the cover art was kind of similar. And I was like, hey, that's kind of close to mine. And then I found it. It was run by Ron Howard. And I was like, you do what you want. <laughs> Touch that. <laughs> there you go. That's a nice little connection possibly that <laughs> well i'll take his accidental traffic any day absolutely <laughs> you know one of the things i wanted to ask you about is that you know you do a lot of teaching you do a ton of coaching you do you know a ton of providing information you've done um you've worked with girls who click um which is another another you know i don't want to say girl power but it you know it's another way of you know encouraging younger girls to really get into nature photography um, so, so maybe we need to talk about that a little bit too, because I know there's some things coming up in the next few months with that. Um, but in general, what do you think is the biggest thing you enjoy about helping, helping other photographers or other photographers who want to get into conservation? I thrive on seeing other people succeed, um, because they're, especially in conservation photography, I very firmly believe that there's no such thing as, um, competition when it comes to our field, because what we're doing is beneficial to everyone. It's beneficial to all photographers and all human beings and all species on the planet, because our goal is to um, preserve places and to do less damage and to help people think differently and behave differently so that we have a fighting chance um, for survival on this planet. And so I get the biggest kick when I can coach someone in a way that they get a pitch accepted in a magazine or they get, um, you know, photos out or they accomplish a project that they were really struggling with accomplishing. Like they, they thought they couldn't do it and sure enough, they pull it off. And, um, I, I really thrive on seeing people in this field succeed and make a difference. It's huge. 
It is it is nice to see. And I see it with Nampa too. You see people that yeah. start with like the high school program and they go yeah. on, you know, wind up being president. Um, you know, we talked to Gabby Salazar um, in a previous episode and, you know, you look at, at people like that, that, you know, you kind of encourage them along the way and then you see what they do with that, that, that knowledge. And it's, it's pretty important. It can be pretty impressive. Oh yeah. And I mean, how amazing it is it? And I'm, I never thought of myself as a teacher ever. Like I was a substitute teacher for a while to make, you know, some, some side money. And I was like, Oh my God, I cannot handle these kids. Like junior high kids. I cannot do this. This is awful. And so I never thought of myself as a teacher, but now that I'm in, like, I'd consider myself like a coach. Now that I'm in that role, I'm like, Oh, I get it. Because exactly when you, when you can coach someone along and you see them actually take what you're saying seriously and then go even farther with that and implement it and see success. It's like, thank you so much for trusting me um, and trusting what I had to say. And thank you so much for, for really working hard and doing something with that and seeing that pay off. Some of the things, you know, so this is a, a podcast that we've kind of developed for NAMPA, not just for NAMPA members, but to, to kind of bring awareness about NAMPA. It, you know, over the years, you know, how long have you, have you been involved with NAMPA and what kind of things have you seen NAMPA do that has helped, has helped you in your own career path? Well, I think that I've been a NAMPA member for probably, oh, I really don't want to say this. It makes me feel old, but I think probably for 10 years now, something in that range, maybe, maybe like eight or nine years. Um, basically when I first got serious about photography, NAMPA was the first kind of investment that I made. And, uh, it's been really amazing because of the people that I've met inside of this community. Um, some of my dearest friends are people that I met through NAMPA. Um, and they've been incredibly influential in my own conservation photography path. I, I know that I'm talking so specifically about this niche and that NAMPA is so much more than conservation photography, but people like um, Morgan Heim and Clay Bolt, I served on a, the board with them for a short time and um, Sean Fitzgerald and Gabby Salazar and these people who I just think are, are phenomenal human beings and Andrew Schneider, um, he's someone who I incredibly admire. And I think that being able to be in a place, so especially when we have the summits, of course, but being able to be in a place where you can actually hang out and sit down and have conversations with people that you would never meet outside of that situation. Um, that's been really, really valuable to me, like on a on a personal level in terms of understanding where I fall in photography and my um, style development, that sort of thing, being able to, to talk about that with people, but also the professional development as well. Being, being able to see what other people are doing in their careers and then to be able to talk to them about that and decide how I wanna navigate mine based on that has been huge, absolutely huge. Just deviating a little bit, you we've talked about conservation photography or conservation photographer a lot. Can you just give a good definition of that? Not that it's easy to define because it runs the gamut, I'm sure. But just for listeners that hear that over and over and over, what is your definition of that to the world? I think my own definition would be that conservation photography is nature photography that is put to use for uh, environmental conservation or science communication. So conservation photography is not what you take pictures of as much as what you do with your images. So you can be a conservation photographer and take 
portraits of animals, but then you're putting them to use for uh, awareness or a cause or a fundraising campaign or, or something. So you're, you're going a step farther. You have a snapshot and then you move beyond that to, to actually take action for uh, environmental conservation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's a great way to look at it. And I think, you know, your photography can serve multiple uses, right? And that's just one of many. It is a growing area of photography or nature photography too. You know, as 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 we all try to find our own little niches and things, you know, there's a, a big push as, you know, as wildlife loses more habitat and as cities are struggling with, you know, water conservation and land use and population growth. And, you know, I think there is a, a huge push to see in photography and visuals you know, whether it's a, a, a still image or an, a video image um, certainly helps to communicate those challenges and how you can overcome them. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a positive aspect to it, too, about how we can how we can succeed and, and improve things, too. Absolutely. You know, in all aspects of our life, people should find some ways to give back to the community. And when it comes to the planet and environmental conservation, for those of us that are wildlife or nature photographers, obviously that's the root of our passion. So if we can find ways to give back, there has to be a multitude of them out there. It's great that you're helping people channel that. Yeah, thank you. And I mean, it's something that we can do even if we don't have immediate access to wild spaces. There's so many ways to be a conservation photographer within city limits of any city out there. Uh, just for the bird mortality with the buildings that happens, right, with the nighttime migration of songbirds. Mm -hmm. How many people, I mean, hits the, hits the headlines now and then, but how many people really know and understand about that? What can be done for that? Can some buildings shut off some of their lights? Mm -hmm. Any way that people can give back? I mean, that's just one small issue, but you're you're very right. I mean, these large asphalt cities you know, take their toll and, and have an impact. So, yeah, even, even in situations like that, people pay attention to green Absolutely. spaces. Yeah, and think about how essential it is to have at least one really solid image with that headline. So even even a one-off image, like you, every news story is going to run with at least one of these. There was, um, on, on that specific subject, I saw a feature article in a national mag, um, newspaper, sorry, covering it a couple of years ago where there's somebody standing on the sidewalk with that night's mortality and all the birds and like a, a around them laid out all the different species of songbirds, and again it's something that's hard to avoid with the way our our society and culture grows here. But if there are ways to curb it, and and, and right the visual is that was a very impactful visual photograph to see the number of different species in the songbirds and the way they had them fanned out around a human being put scale to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very great example there's a lot of things that are you know we mentioned open spaces i know in colorado there's an initiative to have an open space a dedicated open space within i think it's every three miles or something throughout the state you know if more states did did projects like that or things like night skies i mean it doesn't even have to be wildlife or you know it's you know you hear a lot of people say that you know there's a lot of places in the u.s where you cannot see the milky way that, you know, there's people that grow up and never get to see the Milky Way. It, you know, like, I can't fathom that. I live in, in an area where I can see it every night if it's clear or we're not having smoke from wildfires. And, you know, the stories between, you know, what it looks like in a city comparison to what it would look like out in, out in an open, darker area. It's, I mean, there's so many topics that people could delve into. 
Um, and like you said, it, you, you don't have to go very far to, to find those, those stories. Mm-hmm. I have the visual, I have the visual in mind for that one, for the, for the light pollution was one taken from the international space station of planet earth. And it might even have been a video that you could find online, but you could see these pockets at night around the planet of just how bright these cities were. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very powerful visual is my point in bringing it up mm-hmm. and you can really, I mean, I'm as far as conservation photography, that's the visuals can move people so much more readily than text now because so few people, and this isn't necessarily a big knock on people, but they don't read into things. They don't mm-hmm. read a lot of text. It's that visual that has that initial grab of someone's attention and is so important now to communicate the urgency and relevance of these issues. So the more people that get behind that and help with these organizations on, on all levels, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I teach conservation photography storytelling, and, and that's what we really get into is um, how do you take a complex issue and show it in images. Like, how do you build a story around that so that someone would be able to look at a series of images and know exactly what's going on, um, and even how to take action or, or how to change? Um, because we can. The, it is so impactful to see something and to really have that visceral reaction to it. But then, if you can offer multiple images that help people dive into what that story is about, and have images that are amazing for comparison and scale and before and after, and you know all of these different ways to look at an issue, so it can take something that seems like, you know, you take an issue as big as climate change, and someone's like, I know it's exist, it, it exists out there, and I have no control over it, and I just don't even like just stop telling me headlines about it. But then you show them something about how it really directly impacts their life. Uh, and you and you show them this image and then they might pause and might actually be curious and and might feel empowered. So what else? So what, are there any other projects that you have coming up in the in the near future? <laughs> if if you have like five minutes of time each day to start on this, <laughs> or is this kind of all keeping you pretty busy? It sounds like it does. So I have um I I have a like I mentioned I do conservation photography teaching and so I have an online course called Conservation Photography 101. So I am gearing up to launch that for enrollment pretty soon, which I'm excited about. So I've been revamping all of the materials for that and kind of beefing that out. And then um, I have my own like I've been trying really hard to learn how to protect my time around my own photography so that I actually get out there and uh, make and really prioritize that. I feel right now as if that's like my fun time, my relaxing time. So I have to get into the mindset like, no, no, that counts as work too. It's okay. You don't have to justify this. You need to get out and go shoot. Um, but I, so I have a photography project that I'm working on that I'm really excited to actually get out and go shoot. But I've actually been I've been streamlining my business quite a bit because I'm so busy. So I actually ended a longstanding project um, on urban coyotes and I um, ended my tour company on Oregon coast. I had a company called Oregon coast photo tours and it was doing really lovely in 2019 and then 2020 started. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'll, you know, back burner that for a while. And then I realized like, if I have something that I can just back burner, then do I really need that in my life at all right now? It's still taking some brain power. It's still taking some some time away from stuff. So I went ahead and closed it down. And now I feel like I'm streamlining and I can really focus in on these these kind of critical things that I'm working on. I love the the way you mentioned it earlier about, you know, we're all learning and we're networking so differently these days. And it was such a, sh- a sudden change. Mm-hmm. You know, it pretty much happened overnight where everybody started working from home. And 
you know, like for example, if if I'm pitching an article, I mean, there was a time where you would you would mail it off. You would print, <laughs> mail it. well now you can't even mail things to people to their office because they're not there. It's mm-hmm. so I love I love how you've you've really quickly navigated through and come up with some creative ideas on on how to advise other pe- people and teach other people about you know ways that you can still still build a business and still be out there and still do it successfully. So. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. That was definitely, I feel really lucky that I launched Wild Idea Lab probably about four months before COVID hit because it's been this incredible resource for us to still connect. But um, when it happened, I watched this, like, um, basically, if, if we had a meter, it was like, pew, 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 pew on the creativity, like, drive that people had because there was so much anxiety and stress and depression and you're trying to navigate all this other stuff and then um, people felt really just depressed around the creativity side of their life like actually getting out and going like watching how many people just were like I just didn't feel like shooting I I haven't gotten out and it was really sad so I was able um, to I think use Wild Idea Lab resources to help myself as well as everybody else who's in the lab to um, kind of bolster each other up And so I feel really lucky that we had this online forum where we could still all get together and talk about this and, um, you know, keep each other motivated and keep each other cheering, cheering on and moving forward, even when it got pretty darn stressful. And it still is, you know, pretty darn stressful. Um, 2020 has been quite the one-two punch of a year and still has more in store for us, I'm sure. I have a friend that calls 2020 the lost year. That's his phrase. (laughs) The lost year. So it's... Yeah, it's been, uh, it's just, I mean, even if you had just the pandemic, and I don't know if we need to necessarily delve too much into it, but if you just had the pandemic, it would be enough. But it seems like there's just, I mean, you're experiencing up where you live out in Oregon, there's wildfires out there, we've got wildfires here in Colorado, there's, you know, travel, and it just, there's so much, and you could very easily get very overwhelmed with it. And it's, you know, that's the beauty, I think, of nature photography. And we all get to spend a lot of time outdoors. And I always encourage others to, even if it's your backyard, get out there, Mm -hmm. just, you know, just get out and, you know, watch the birds for a little bit. I mean, there, you know, studies show that that can can physically change your mood, Mm -hmm. completely improve how you feel. And it can kind of help reset, you know, put a, a reset on, you know, how your, your emotions might be developing over the course of a day or something help reduce yeah. stress so absolutely and I mean even COVID is a conservation issue that photography can like we can focus in on photographing habitat destruction and lack of biodiversity and all of these things that actually led toward the eruption of a virus um, to to be a really serious pandemic and um, even through all of the negativity that we have inside of what 2020 has been I'm still completely focused on the solutions and the opportunities that it's provided us. Never before have so many people been so abundantly, like it's in your face how important conservation is. Never before has people, have people been so hit with the fact that conservation is something that we have to actually face up to. So they're paying attention. They're paying attention to biodiversity issues. They're paying attention to habitat loss issues. Like how awesome that we have people actually noticing this now in a really serious way. Now, how can we move forward with that? How can we maintain that momentum? What can we as storytellers do to keep that going forward and to be as helpful as possible, even though it's incredibly difficult? I'm not discounting how hard it is, but um, it's still an opportunity. I have a never say die Pollyanna attitude about most things. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we're here for a good time, not a long time. So <laughs> I live, love live, that. Live it with a smile if you can, right? I'm gonna write that down. That's not mine. <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier, just to change the subject one more time, and I think you've said something about this in the past, Don, but I don't know anything about it. What is Girls Who Click? Don, do you want to take this on, or what would you like? You you actually are involved with it, so no, you you take take lead on that one. Okay. Well, Girls Who Click is a nonprofit that was launched by Susie Esterhaus, and the purpose is to um, create workshops that bring teen girls out into the field for wildlife photography training, essentially. So they do these one-day workshops with uh, girls between the ages of 13 to 18. And so uh, Girls Who Click has a whole bunch of partner photographers, all women who are professional photographers. And so um, we, before COVID, we were hosting them in person. So like I would host one on the Oregon coast or, you know, someone who's in Florida would host one in Florida. Uh, and since then, they've actually moved workshops online. So it's still a very much in demand and active training for young girls. And in addition to that, they've also launched an ambassador program, which brings in young women. Um, so they might be um, overlapping with the age of women who would be or girls who would be in the workshops, but also into their early 30s. And um, they might not be professionals yet, but they're wanting to be on that trajectory. And so they partner these young women with partner photographers as mentors and mentees. And so right now, like we just our, the partner photographers just got emails letting us know who our mentee is. And so we're going to be starting this mentorship program. So um, it's really amazing as a way to, and actually Her Wild Vision is partnering with Girls Who Click because they're spending so much time really encouraging young women to embrace their love of nature and to get outside and to be creative and to, to use wildlife photography as this um, avenue into exploring outside and then they kind of grow up and maybe take that passion with them into adulthood. And then now here's Her Wild Vision Initiative waiting for them as an opportunity to help boost them in their career path. So, um, yeah, Girls Who Click, I think it started uh, three. Th oh, my gosh, I'm so bad with timing. Three or four years ago? Four? Yeah, I want to say it might almost be four because I feel like I heard about it at Nampa Summit. Not the last one, but prior to that. So okay. what two years now? Four years. My goodness. Time is flying. I can see why you don't have any time to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely needing to prioritize that a whole lot more. <laughs> it just seems like so much stuff going on, that which is awesome. I, def I am working on a project that I'm excited about that gets me out into the field and uh, of course, as soon as I'm freeing up my schedule, we're entering Oregon winter. So I'll be out there in Carhartt overalls and Grunion raincoats and still trying to uh, photograph somehow in the wee hours of the day. <laughs> Got to make it happen. So what we're going to put all of these things onto the show notes page. But do you have a personal Instagram account that people can go check out too? I do. It's Jamie Heimbuck, which I know is the worst thing to spell, uh, but it's J-A-Y-M-I-H-E-I-M as in Mary, B as in boy, U-C-H. You can tell I have to spell it out quite a lot for people, but um, I'm just at Jamie Heimbuck on Instagram. Cool. And then we have all these other things, which 
I wrote them all down and we'll have everything in the show notes. So you don't have to remember how to spell her name. You can just go to the show notes and click on it and then start following all these different things, which is so cool. Well, I really appreciate you linking to all of that um, and having that out there. I appreciate you guys just letting me come on here and talk about myself for this long. I usually do not talk about myself very much, so it feels a little weird, but also really fun because I like to talk about projects. So I appreciate you guys letting me come on here and and yammer at you for a while. Thank you for joining us. I think it's it's been fun to get this podcast started with with Wild and Exposed and for Nampa and just lots of great things happening in Nampa these days. And, you know, we're just, just like everybody else, we're just kind of, you know, shifting through the way the world is right now and finding new ways to, to build the community and keep extending our community. So, Oh yeah. Well, and Nampa has been doing a really, I think a phenomenal job of it with uh, all of the webinars that people can still engage with and um, come and learn. And then now this podcast, and I think Nampa has been doing a a really good job staying active during all of this and keeping people motivated. So sometimes it's hard when you're involved in it on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. don't, it doesn't seem like you kind of question, you know, is it, is the word getting out or people hearing it? So it's always nice to hear others are are recognizing that and seeing it. So that's great. Well, and I have to say, I talk about Nampa quite a bit because a lot of times people who come into my circle are wondering like, okay, well, how do I, like what organizations should I join or what, you know, how do I grow in these other areas? And so Nampa gets recommended right and left in my world. And I guess we should clarify just, we always make an assumption everybody understands what Nampa is, but Nampa is <laughs> North American Nature Photography Association. You know, it's an organization that's that's based around community, but we do a lot of advocacy work for nature photographers. We do a lot of work with education, just like Jamie just mentioned. We have a ton of educational programs. We do a um, biannual summit where we bring people together. Um, you know, the next summit's coming up in Tucson next year. So I think a lot of us are really looking forward to, to finding some way to get people together, whether it's, you know, some sort of virtual in-person mix of something, but, you know, some way to find it but there's so much there's so many resources out there for for nature photographers so unless you guys have any other questions i think we are going to let jamie go so she can have a few minutes before whatever i'm sure she has next on her plate for the day Um, so i want to thank jamie for coming on and um definitely you know take a take a take a peek at what she's doing take a peek at what um, wild and exposed is doing you know they have tons of other episodes that 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 they share on all kinds of different topics, always fun photography topics. They talk a lot about their travels and they bring on, just like you said, Jamie, they bring on some great guests as well, talking about all sorts of things that they, you know, people are doing out in the fields, um, out in the field. And then, um, you know, in Nampa, if you want to learn more about Nampa, you can go to nampa.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. That's Nampa Picks with a P-I-X. And I think otherwise, we will say goodbye for today. Bye.